So I want to I start today by talking a bit about parenting. Um, it is always on my mind these days as a father of two boys. Um, I, when I read the story of Exodus and how Moses shows up throughout his 40 years of, of leading God's people, uh, he, he seems like a parent a lot of times. Sometimes it's frustrating, but he's always advocating for the Israelites. And uh, it's, it's a pretty essential subject. It's one um, that we can all relate to. Even if we're not parents ourselves, we've all been parented. So this is a, a common human experience. And aside from the obvious needs uh, to give our kids love and nurture and care, parenting is, is very much about helping our kids make good choices. Because, and I know this is kind of an obvious point, so many of our outcomes in life are so heavily dependent upon our choices. Not all outcomes, of course. We unfortunately cannot control uh, every bad thing that happens to us. There, there is plenty of this out of our control, but we do have control over our choices. And much of parenting is, is teaching and empowering our kids to make good choices. Because in the words of, of the poet Khalil Gibran, uh, our parents bring us into this world, but in the end, we are responsible for what we become. Which means that an essential part maybe the essential part of a parent's job is teaching and empowering our kids to make uh, choices that will help them define what they become. So we try to, to help our kids uh, make good choices physically, good physical choices, for example, uh, like eating healthy food, being physically active, getting a good night's sleep. That's, that's kind of basic stuff. And we try to help our kids make good intellectual choices, uh, like developing a love of reading and learning, helping them to succeed in school so that education is a, is a positive experience, encouraging them to think for themselves and nurturing in them the ability to be discerning and thoughtful. Again, in the words of Khalil Gibran, who wrote this really beautiful reflection on parenting called On Children, he wrote, you may give them your love, but not your thoughts for they have their own thoughts. We try to help our kids make good emotional choices by helping them to, to work through the temper tantrums when they come and by uh, not tolerating disrespect, by encouraging them to be kind and by modeling for them love and compassion and boundaries. And of course, as people of faith, we try to help our kids make good spiritual choices. We do that first and foremost by teaching them about God, by talking to them about God, by praying with them to God. We do that by raising them in the church, by bringing them to worship and Sunday school, by getting them involved in youth group and youth choir. The bottom line is that uh, we teach our kids to make good choices, and then we, we send them out into the world, and uh, we hope that we've done our jobs well. And I keep coming back to, to Khalil Gibran because uh, he's, his reflection on children moved me and my wife Whitney deeply before we had kids of our own. In fact, he wrote a little reflection on marriage that we had uh, read at our wedding. And in the section on children, he writes this, you may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, <laughs> Jesus said something about that, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backward nor tarries with yesterday. 
Parenting is surely about love and nurture and care, but it is also very much about preparing our kids to make good choices once they've struck out on their own. And it's no coincidence that uh, the Bible makes frequent use of the metaphor of God as our parent. Because just as, as human parents teach and empower their children to make good choices, so too does God with us. And that is actually our, our subject for today. So this is the fourth and final week of our Back to School Sermon series, uh, Into the Wilderness, the story of Moses and Miriam. Throughout this month, we've been exploring the Exodus, which was uh, the foundational event in the history of the Israelites as God delivered God's people from slavery in Egypt. So in week one, uh, we talked about the uh, revelation of God to Moses at the burning bush. That's in Exodus chapter three. In week two, Reagan talked about Miriam's celebration of God's victory over Egypt at the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 15. Last week, we talked about Exodus chapter 33, and we talked about how uh, the grace of God abounds in our relationship with God, in God's relationship with God's people. So this week, we're going to jump almost to the end of the story of the Exodus. We're going to, to jump to the, to the banks of the River Jordan just before God leads God's people into the promised land, which means that we're going to skip the rest of the book of Exodus. Now, not to worry if you want to take a deep dive on Exodus. Um, this is a shameless plug for my Bible study that begins September 18th. 4 p.m. upstairs. We're going to cover every chapter, every verse. So if you feel like you, uh, you know, missed out, please join us for that. But we're not just skipping the rest of Exodus. We're also going to skip uh, Leviticus and Numbers today. We're going to skip almost to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to be reading a passage from almost the end of this book. This is going to be chapter 30, verses 11 to 14. And what you need to know about this reading is that uh, this is Moses talking to, God, to the Israelites very near the end of their time together. And when he says commandment, he means that as a summary for the law. So he's talking about the law of the covenant, everything that God's people have agreed to do uh, as part of their relationship with God. So listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 to 14. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I, I cannot preach a four-week sermon series on Moses and not tell it. When I uh, began my studies at Perkins School of Theology down at SMU for my first year of seminary, I did not show up in seminary knowing a whole lot about the Bible. Um, most of what I had learned about the Bible came from listening to sermons and homilies over the years in church. Uh, I had never really studied it in depth. And so I figured that I should start at the beginning, taking the required year-long course in the Old Testament uh, as I began seminary. And the very first day of class, we were starting a course in, in Genesis. But we were talking about Genesis in the context of what scholars call the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. It's also called the Law of 
Moses. Um, so our professor opened the class, this first class on my first day of seminary, with what I assumed was a, was a softball question. He said, uh, who is commonly thought to have written the first five books of the Old Testament? Now, as good Methodists, y'all probably know immediately what that answer is. I won't quiz you, don't worry. If you know me at all, you know that um, I'm a bit of a teacher's pet. I love school. I always do all of the required reading. I really like having the answers to the teacher's questions. And um, I'm also more than a little bit competitive. And so I thought that this would be a rare opportunity for me to, to get a Bible question right. Maybe my only chance that semester because lots of my classmates already had church jobs. Some of them were preaching every week. All of them certainly knew a whole lot more about the subject than I did. And so when the professor asked who was commonly thought to have written the first five books of the Old Testament, I thought this would be a perfect chance for me to make a great first impression because everyone knows the answer to this, right? Well, thankfully, uh, someone else raised their hand before I did, and I resisted the temptation to say, ooh, ooh, ooh pick me, pick me. But it's hard for me to resist that temptation, but I did. I'm glad I did. God was looking out for me because they gave the answer the professor was looking for, uh, which apparently was Moses. Did y'all know this? Moses is commonly thought to have written, at least in the tradition, uh, to have written the first five books of the Old Testament. I was going to raise my hand and in front of 40 of my colleagues say, God. God wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. That's not who wrote the first five books. Listen, Moses was not even in my top five. <laughs> Rest assured, I learned plenty that year in class. <laughs> and one of the things that I learned in that class is that scholars now believe that the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, actually comes from four different sources at least. Uh, and one of those sources is one that, the, it's, that scholars call uh, the Deuteronomist who wrote the book that we're reading today. So Deuteronomy literally means second law. You can also interpret it as repeated law. And what scholars believe is that the book of Deuteronomy was written centuries after the people crossed the River Jordan into the promised land. In fact, uh, we believe that it was written uh, sometime after the fall of the Northern Kingdom in 722 BC, which is a long time after the events that it is uh, narrating. Which is to say, it was written sometime after a significant portion of God's people had been conquered by a foreign enemy. And in that day, the fall of the northern kingdom was interpreted as judgment by God for failing to uphold the terms of the covenant. All of which is to say that in our verses this morning, what we're reading is a much later interpretation of what Moses might have said in his closing address to God's people. Or at the very least, it's a vindication of what Moses had warned God's people about. Because the Deuteronomist, writing centuries after Moses gave this farewell address, in the aftermath of God's people losing a significant portion of the promised land, the Deuteronomist knows that the wisdom Moses shares in this passage has proven true. So the setting for our text for today is on, is on the plains of Moab. It's the final stop before the people finally cross the Jordan after 40 years in the wilderness. And this 30th chapter is the, the closing portion of Moses' third and final address 
to the people in the book of Deuteronomy, which means that he is, he is very near the end of his time with the people he had led for a generation. And we didn't, we didn't read these verses, but in the verses reading, leading up to our reading for today, he had spent some time recapping the events of the Exodus. He was uh, reminding the people of all that God had done for them. He was um, making the case that Israel can be confident in God's promises because God has delivered on God's promises. And then he reminds them of the grace that God had repeatedly shown them. And then, not leaving it at that, he calls them to action. He calls them to renew the covenant they had made with God at Mount Sinai. Because while it's true that God moves towards us first through grace, that's what grace is all about, we know that's never where the story ends. God is gracious to us, and then we are expected to respond to that grace by living godly lives. And so Moses is saying, after all that God has done for us, we need to recommit ourselves to following God's will. And in the the first verses we read, uh, he says that the covenant is not impossible, that God's expectations for God's people are not mysterious. (laughs) It's not hard to figure out what God wants. God's been very clear about it. And the rest is up to us. So this is Deuteronomy 13, or 30, rather, verses 15 to 20. Listen again, friends, for God's word. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, though that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Amen. I love the book of Deuteronomy. Because it, it, it stands um, on the cusp of this new thing in our faith history. It's, it's on this threshold of a new era. It's on the banks of the River Jordan, looking back on all that God has already done for God's people and looking ahead to all the promise and all the, the peril that lies before them. Deuteronomy is often called Moses' valedictory speech to the people that he's led so long for, uh, for so long and so well. And I think that's a a terrific analogy because it reminds me of the emotions that parents feel at high school and college graduations, having worked so hard for so long to prepare their kids for life, listening to valedictory speeches as moments both of looking back on where we've been and looking ahead to the promise and peril of life. 
These verses from Deuteronomy are, are a poignant challenge at this moment of transition in our faith history. Moses is saying that after all God has already done for God's people, after the, the grace that God has repeatedly shown and will continue to show, with the terms of the covenant clearly set before them, with God's will unequivocally outlined in the commandments given at Mount Sinai and recapped on the plains of Moab before crossing the Jordan, Israel is faced with the simplest of choices. <laughs> On the one hand, chasing after false gods and idols, which history to that point had shown and would continue to show only leads to adversity and heartache and exile. That's, that's one choice. On the other side is faithfulness to God, which leads to, to blessing and to purpose and to peace. And Moses' simple advice in his last words to his people after 40 years of wandering in the wake of the Exodus, after being in the wilderness together, after acting as this parental figure for all of these people, his advice is simple and it comes down to two words. He says, choose life, which can be a mantra for, for all of God's faithful in every place and time, because that same advice applies every bit as much to us as 21st century Christians as it did to God's people on the plains of Moab so long ago. Now, for the Israelites, it meant choosing to follow the commandments of the law. For us, it means choosing Christ. It means placing our faith in him. It means following his teachings and example as best we can each day. It means doing the things that he taught us to do. Next week, we start a, a new sermon series in which we're going to explore some of those teachings. As the Israelites went into the wilderness, led by God out of slavery in Egypt, under the leadership of Moses and Miriam, these two giants in our faith history, God proved God's faithfulness through an act of grace that defined our relationship with God. And here, at the end of that portion of our story, Moses reminded the people that the life of faith requires choices of us all as we daily seek to do God's will for our lives. Now, the details of, of our choices as 21st century Christians are, are vastly different than the ones the Israelites had to make in their Exodus journey, but the fundamental choice is the same, to choose faith, which means to choose life. And in the end, as every parent knows, our choices will define who we become. Khalil Gibran said, our parents bring us into this world, but in the end, we are responsible for what we become. So it is in our relationship with God. We give thanks for the grace that teaches us and empowers us. We give thanks for the freedom to make our own choices. And we pray for the wisdom and the discernment and maybe most importantly, the willingness to choose God. Amen.